0: Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: On August 20th, 1966... A young boy was flying a kite on Ventum Hill in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He comes across the bodies of two deceased males. Both males were wearing a suit and a raincoat, but what covered their eyes baffled the authorities. What later became known as one of the most mysterious cases in the history of Brazil You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the lead Mask case. In August 1966, two Brazilian electronic technicians, Manuel Pereira Cruz and Miguel Jose Viana, were found dead on a hillside near Rio de Janeiro. What made their deaths so strange was that they were wearing identical masks over their eyes and a small notebook with
0: cryptic notes was found beside them. The case quickly became known as Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, I will say that the pollen has finally got me coach, finally got me today. I have felt like utter oh, wow. utter pooper got to sniffles my eyes are all bloodshot looks like i've had a good time but i've not i've really not
1: oh that sucks man bloodshot eyes sniffles and you didn't have the cocaine
0: i sure didn't man i sure did i saw
1: i saw a thing that was like stop making new coke flavors either put cocaine back in it or leave it the fuck alone
0: (laughs) amen (laughs) amen
1: finally a movement i can get behind
0: So, we have caught some traction. I made this little group chat thing. God, I don't know. I guess maybe when we made our uh, group page. But, man, we got some love today with the podcast dogs. Everybody got on there. So, if you're not a member of our podcast secret page, members only, ask yourself Dude, why.
1: You were totally right, though. He was like, you're going to make Coach sad? Yeah, I missed the fuck out of the pod dogs, man.
0: Yep, so they love-bombed him with dogs of all shapes, sizes, and flavors. And even Cody from Down Under sent a picture of her doggo. So I told the people on there that I would share the story of mine. He has three legs. I will keep it short and sweet for those of you that really don't care. But...
1: If you don't care about a three-legged dog, don't fucking listen to this podcast.
0: (laughs) You heard it here first, boys and girls.
1: I'm just saying. If you're gonna be like, oh I'm gonna fast forward through the three legged dog story, fuck you. I mean, seriously though, keep listening. I apologize. <laughs> yep. Oh dude, you know that when you, the 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 noise clip you the not noise clip, the sound bite you use where it says surprise motherfucker. Yeah. You ever seen the video where the guy's like parroting it?
0: Like oh, yeah, yes, 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 like, yes, yes.
1: Supplies, motherfucker. Small yes. fries, motherfucker. <laughs> yes.
0: I was dying. <laughs> all right, so my dog is a wire hair Pointer mix. So he's a big old boy, and he is all about some birds. And so when he was about two years old, we had just got back from vacation. It was a misty day in May, and... We let him out to eat, and then we had a lab, and she just didn't give a shit. She just stayed in the pen. She just kind of was a lab. They don't really do much. But anyway, so my neighbor had what he said was free-range chickens. Well, it was not. They were feral. Um, and they basically would go into about three or four yards. Well, being the bird dog that he is, he would pick out the weakest link, and he would try to catch one. And so that day, either he hung his leg on a retaining wall, in my neighbor's backyard. Or he stepped in a gopher hole and he shattered that thing. So long story short, we're talking six, eight weeks recovery. They it, And I tell you, that dog is faster now on three legs than he ever thought about being on four.
1: Really? Yes,
0: sir. And there used to be...
1: Figured it out, did he?
0: He sure did. There used to be this old rooster that was just too stupid to die. And... Every once in a while when I would let him out, I would be like, ah, heck with it. See if you can get him. And he would, buddy, he would go. One day he got him airborne and flew him, like chased him so that he, the chicken, the rooster flew into the pen. And this pen we had is huge. And so you can see the light bulb moment. As my dog gets to the edge of the fence, he realizes, oh, he's trapped. And so he comes running around, and I just opened the gate. He bounced that rooster off every chain-link fence panel we had. And finally he got him, and he pranced around for a little bit, and then he just sat there and held it in his mouth. And I was like, come here, buddy. You done? And he'd come over there, and he sat down, and I reached down there and grabbed that rooster by the legs. He was missing a couple of feathers, but that was all. And so I picked him up, upside down. I looked at him. I said, you may be the stupidest rooster I've ever seen in my entire life. And two days later, we don't know where he went. (laughs) So either he was so traumatized, or the resident hawk finally got the last one. But that's the story of my three-legged dog. We'll see you next week on Dog Bruce.
1: Oh, that's a good idea, though. We should do a Dog Bruce.
0: We should. There's got to be some I, some good dog stories out there. Besides, I miss my dogs, man.
1: If you have good dog stories, please post them to our private group on Facebook, Mysterious Brews. Go to groups and type in Mysterious Brews Podcast and join. You will see the greatest memes known to man.
0: Yes, you will. There was one. What did you do today? (laughs) No, it wasn't. I don't think it was you. I think it was Heater. And he may have posted it. You may have sent it to him. Hell, who knows? The two of you trade memes so much. But I saw it on his page, and it's a picture of Chucky e with that god-awful grin of his. And he says, my face, after I just cut, I just cut the nastiest farting on the man. And I walk in a room and go, hey, y'all smell popcorn? And everybody that, takes a You, it you guys make popcorn?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't send that to him, but I did see it. It was funny.
0: Uh, all right, so we're taking a break from the well, not really Mur- the Murdoch family. Well, the absolute shit show that has been the last four weeks of the Murdaws and poor Miss Van Zant down in Albany. We are going to do us a mystery tonight. Now it does have covering, some death in it.
1: We're covering a famous case. This is famous. This is world famous.
0: Yeah. yeah. One of the greatest unsolved mysteries of all our time. And you hear it first, four and a half years later on Mysterious... Four and a half?
1: Shit, that shit was in 1966.
0: No, I mean, we're finally covering it four and a half years later.
1: Oh, From the start of our podcast. I'm with you, I'm with you.
0: I'm sorry. Yeah, finally you're with me. Good God. I know, right? It's about time you got on the same page, son. Same. This is what (laughs) makes championships right here. Us working together. (laughs) So, as Coach alluded to in the opening... This is a case that has baffled true crime fans and armchair sleuths for over 50 years. On August 20th, 1966, Zabalmy a balmy Saturday. I don't know. I don't know when it was, to be honest with you. I don't even know what the weather was. But
1: Well, I, I think this is our first case from Brazil.
0: Yes, yeah, I believe
1: you were right. Which is, you know, the the home of the greatest jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's right. That's
0: right, that's right, that's right. That's, right. that's, right. that's, right. that's right. It's great.
1: You know what's crazy about Brazil and how dangerous – you know how they say how dangerous it is? I know that when that nineteen thirteen – 13-time world champion got murdered in Brazil, I know I talked about it, but is a two-time world champion in jiu-jitsu, won the, what's called the ADCC, which is like the, the biggest no-gi tournament in the world. It pays a lot of money. He won that. They honored him with a – star on Rio de Janeiro's Walk of Fame. Dang. He didn't go. He said, I know I'm going go back to Brazil. <laughs> That's too dangerous. Dang. So when you've got an extremely decorated jujitsu practitioner and he's like, no, nah, not going. I remember when they had the Olympics there. I can't remember the phrase, but there was a phrase in in Portuguese – that they were teaching Americans and other people coming there. And like the word that it was, was don't there was a word for um, trying to stop a robbery and ended up being murdered. There's like a word for it. Like they're like, avoid that. If someone's robbing you, just let them rob you.
0: That is true. Everything is replaceable.
1: Don't, uh, don't give them an excuse to kill you because they will
0: they don't give two shits they're like the cartels maybe the cartels are in brazil maybe maybe we're onto something there maybe not okay so depending on what article you read the young boy that finds these two men are is either hunting for birds or he was flying a kite now one article says that he was flying a kite the other said he was hunting birds but both agree that while doing whatever he was doing that day in August on 1966, he smelt something god-awful and finally got the cojones to go see what it was and where it was coming from, and he discovers the remains of two men. Now, it is extremely rare for this young man to have seen anyone where he was at because they said that the mountain or the hill... What did you say that was Moro do Ventum? Yeah, hill.
1: Yeah, it's Moro do Ventum, which just means Ventum Hill.
0: So it's just Portuguese. Yes, it is a place that most people do not venture. And so he would go up there and I guess, like I said, he had some cojones on him. But anyway, there was a. He was flying a kite. It wasn't
1: like he was, you know, what kind of cojones do you have to fly a kite?
0: I'm saying to go find out what stunk.
1: Oh, okay. I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I need to
0: start paying attention. You might. You might. You might. So anyway, what was strange about what he or the bodies that he found was that he had seen these same two men three days prior in the same spot around 5 p.m. He would tell police that when he found them this day in August, that they are just sitting on the hill. The next day, the boy returned. And saw the two men again, this time lying on the ground, which to him looked like they were sleeping. And he is referring to Manuel and Miguel, who were television technicians from the city of Campos. And they had identified them. Manuel was 32 and Miguel was 34. Both men were married with families. And they had told their families that they are, were traveling to Rio to buy some electronic equipment. They were found close together and completely intact. They had not been scavenged. They had not suffered post-mortem injuries, none of that stuff. They were wearing what was referred to in the newspapers of the time, their Sunday best suits with matching raincoats. And they were laying on a bed of pentoba leaves.
1: Yeah, I mean, and yeah, no signs of struggle, no nothing. They just were dead. No obvious signs of why.
0: And they stated that these palm palm tree like leaves had been cut with a precision and made into a thoughtful bed so that they could lay on. However, they scoured the area and could not find any cutting utensil that could have made the. Snips of the leaves. What was the oddest thing was both men had on lead eye masks or lead sunglasses, as some people have said.
1: When I first heard about this case, I was like, lead masks, I did not picture what they, in my mind's eye, I didn't see it being what it was. Like, literally, just crudely Shaped lead mask to cover just the eyes.
0: Now, they would interview Father Oscar Gonzalez Cuevedo, a professor of parapsychology, and he said that these types of masks would be, or actually would allow whoever was wearing them to not see the emanation of luminous radiations from new worlds. <laughs> so basically, they were blocking their visual eyes, and they were trying to open their third eye, and that's according to the father, Oscar Gonzalez-Cuevedo. Now, they also found beside the two men a strange cement-type frame, a bottle of magnesium mineral water, a handkerchief with the letters M-A-S, a strange note, and electronic schematics containing the Ohm's law equation which if you don't want to look it up that deals with power voltage current and resistance so the strange note they found was what was basically egyptian hieroglyphics yeah
1: none of it makes sense either it's like what like
0: it was undecipherable letters, and then there was Egyptian hieroglyphics, and then at the bottom of it it read at four thirty PM we are in the determined place. At six thirty we will take the capsules with orange after the effect protect half the face with lead masks, wait for agreed signal. So yeah, and I mean nothing it, else. Like what the hell does that even mean? And there's some pictures out there. That you can see of where they're at. And this is some dense foliage, I I would say.
1: Yeah, when they found them, they were already, like, uh, partly covered with grass.
0: They had young families, is what's even more odd, that you would think this was... They were going to embark on something they did not think would take their life. So... Basically, the two men had last been seen by their families on the day before. No, that is not true. Because wasn't they found on? Maybe I got my dates wrong. They were found. A no, few days you're right. After yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. They were last seen. So it was like yes. three days, I think. Yeah. So they were found on the twentieth. They were last seen by their families on the seventeenth when they boarded a bus around 9 a.m. They said they were headed to Sao Paulo, which is basically about 430 miles from where they were at. For those of you actually in countries that didn't land on the moon, that's 708 kilometers. (laughs) Nice. They told their families, like I said earlier, that they were going to buy some electronic equipment and a car, and they were carrying around basically whatever the denomination is or what it is called in brazil but it was 3 million
1: but they were not found with 3 million on them
0: no they were found with approximately 2000 US dollars and a bag containing something crazy like i want to say like 8 to 10,000 US dollars so that kind of rules out robbery because as coach says if you're going to commit a murder damn straight you might as well go ahead and go all in yep you might
1: not even get charged with robbing them you're <laughs> gonna be so focused on the murder
0: <laughs> there it just was makes sense there it was it just makes sense to me murdering and i was like hey i'm gonna take some cash so the bus actually arrived in Niteroi around 2 p.m and since it was raining, they went right around the corner and got the raincoats. Then they went to a bar and purchased a bottle of mineral water, and they kept the receipt so they could get back the refund on the empty bottle later. Yes, this was back in 1966 when that still was a thing.
1: You can still do that now. What are you talking about? Mm. Mm. Oh, you, you can't get it? it may have some, whatever. Every beer, every beer can I drink says it's a nickel value except in like California or something.
0: A nickel for every beer can? Somebody lying to you. Cause I've been, Don't make me. I done pissed away a lot of money then. <laughs> yeah, we should have been cashing in our empties, bro. I know. So around 3.15 that afternoon on the 17th of August, the two set off for the Moro on foot. And around 5 p.m. is when the ball, the ball. Man, I am not on it today. The boy sees them sitting at a point high up on the hill. So the next day, same boy sees the two men in the same place on the hill, but this time, like I said, they were lying down. Then, two days later is when he found them by means of the foul odor. Now, they had started to decompose by the time the authorities were removing them from the scene, and at the autopsy it is stated that both had the beginning stages of decomposition. However, despite this, it was determined that there were no signs of violence or evidence of a burning, no indication of a poison in their organs, and it was generally assumed they both had cardiac failures, but there was no explanation as to what caused the cardiac failures. Now, it seemed to the pathologist, that the men likely died sometime on the night of August 17th, the first day the boys saw them, and nothing in the information the police found indicated the men expected to die. There was now also the question of where most of the alleged money they left their towns with had gone, but they were even more perplexed by the odd note that mentioned the lead mass did not match the handwriting samples for either victim. Really? Yes, sir. It seems certainly a mystery. It seemed that you was going to take a turn, and no, sir, you was going to get another brick wall. So on the 17th is the day they arrived in town, and a lady of very high social status named Senora Gracinda... Barbosa Contillo de Sosa from the Nitadori neighborhood of Francesca saw a UFO. Now, Senora Sosa had been driving that evening with three of her children when they all saw an, quote, oval shaped object of orangey color with a band of fire around its edges hanging over the top of a hill and, quote, sending out rays in all directions, end quote. Senora Sousa stopped the car and she and her children watched the object rise and fall vertically in the air for about four minutes. When she got home, she told her husband about the sighting. He drove back to where she said she had seen it, but he did not see anything. But a few days later, he happened to tell his story to the police when he heard about the two men being found dead. Now, the husband had managed to keep his wife from seeing any of the articles regarding the death of these two men and where they were found, presumably to keep her from freaking the fuck out. But when he saw it, like I said, he went to the police and told them about the siding. From where she saw the object to where they were found is roughly 13 and a half miles or 22 kilometers. So his wife, more than likely, I guess, would not have seen the two men. I mean, I guess eyesight down there is just not as good as it is other places. I mean, 13 and a half miles, surely you could see two men on a hill in dense foliage. But who am I to judge? Now, reports of the UFO sighting started to appear in the local papers about five days after the two men's bodies was found, along with the claims that Further information from the De Souzas was known and being kept secret by the police, which would of course be hard to prove true, but it did make for the papers to be sold like wildfire. After the report went public, the police had a number of other people call in and confirm the sighting. They had all been afraid to report the strange UFO because reporting UFOs in Brazil in the 19 in 1966 was very discouraged by the government and the local police. But the fact that someone of Senora Sousa's status was willing to come forward, gave the rest of the people a little courage to tell and solidify her claims. Now, about the same time there was something else that appeared in the newspaper that was very strange. It was stated that four years earlier, in 1962, a TV technician named Hermes had been found dead on a hill called Moro do Cruzeiro near Neves. And he, too, was found with a lead mask. The Moro de Cruzeiros is about 176 miles, or 284 kilometers from... The Moro de Ventum, but it's also 84 miles from Campos, the hometown of both Mr. Viana and Mr. Cruz. Hold on. Hello. Sorry. Is this thing on. Finally. You <laughs> was dead silent forever.
1: Uh, I got a phone call. Oh, okay. But anyway, so there was another person found with a lead
0: mask? That's what they said. They said that four years earlier in 1962, another TV technician just named Hermes in the paper was found on another hill about 176 miles from Morodo Ventium.
1: I didn't I in my research I didn't see that. That are you that's insane. Yes. Yes. What the hell's going on? I don't know, señor. And why what could possibly My question is what could possibly that lead mask have done other than, you know, keep you from going blind from some sort of bright light, I suppose, but that doesn't make any sense.
0: No, and and what they theorized is that when he was found, he was actually closer to Mr. Viana and Mr. Cruz's hometown of compost than he was from the little town where Moro do Vientium is. And there's nothing else out there about it. It was one little blurb in the newspaper, and nothing else was followed up. Because I guess they just thought, hey, this dumbass one went out there and got himself killed because he was by himself. And it was not until they found the two Miguel and Manuel that they someone was like, Hey, y'all remember a couple years ago? And they were like, Yeah. And but by then that story's dead. Long gone. Yeah, it's dead. Now, police soon arrested a friend of Miguel and Manuel's named Alicio Gomez. Quote, for making contradictory statements, end quote. You can get arrested for that? I guess you could back in 1966 in Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah, Manuel's wife claimed that Gomez and her husband had had an argument, which is likely why they went looking for him to start with. What they got wasn't what they wanted, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, when I was well, the
1: Rolling Stones told us you can't always get what you want. That's
0: true. That is true.
1: You just can't. That's right. But if you try sometimes, you might find
0: what you've been looking you get for. What you need. <laughs> hey guys, Arlo here and if you are struggling with the old caffeine in the morning, I have got the fix for you. It is called Magic Mind. And it is just a little two-ounce shot that you drink with your coffee or your energy drinks in the morning. It is chocked full of greatness. And it will get you focused. And it really actually has the L-theanine. And that lowers your cortisol hormone, which helps absorb that caffeine that you're intaking. Now, Magic Mind has nootropics, adaptogens, matcha green tea, and 12 magical ingredients. That matcha boosts your energy. The adaptogens help with relaxation, and the nootropics keep you focused. A bonus is that it has vitamins C and D along with the echinacea to help your immunity. So head over to magicmind.co backslash brews and enter the promo code BREWS20. That is Bruise20, B R E W S 20. B-R-E-W-S-2-0, and that will give you a 20% off coupon for either a one time purchase or subscription to a monthly dose of Magic Mind. Now, when they found Gomez and arrested him, he claimed that both he and Manuel and Miguel were members of a secret society of, quote, scientific spiritualists, end quote. And they regularly attended seances, and that apparently almost all electronic specialists and enthusiasts in Brazil were scientific spiritualists as well. Gomez claimed that... weird. Yeah. He would go on to claim that Manuel and Miguel collaborated on many strange electronic experiments with him, and they were hoping to communicate with beings on Mars... A,
1: Don't we all though? Don't we all hope that?
0: Yeah, but men—I I know I but do. But the men are from Mars. We got to communicate with the women from Venus. Oh yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. So you—you got to make sure you know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> now he would make another statement that was confirmed by Manuel's father, and that was that he and Manuel had worked on an experiment in Manuel's garden that had exploded. "Quote violently." I don't think that uh, explosions are not violent, but
1: yeah. Well, what kind of a, what explosion is not violent?
0: Yeah, I was like, do we really need quotations around violently, or are we just drawing attention to it was a big explosion? Gomez also talked of a strange incident that had occurred on June thirteenth of the same year. Manuel and Miguel passed away in sixty six. On the day in question, he states Gomez that is that some Others had been invited by Manuel and Miguel to visit the beach at Atafana, which is 24 miles or 38 kilometers from Campos. Just as Gomez arrives, quote, an intensely luminous object, end quote, came down from the sky to hover over the shore of the beach. It stayed for about five minutes, then began to rise when there was a blinding flash and an explosion that shook buildings 15 kilometers away. The papers reported the inquiries, presumably by police, and they found fishermen that were locals of Atafana who claimed to have also seen the flying saucer fall into the ocean. So newspapers added that the Brazilian Navy and the Brazilian Air Force Intelligence were now interested in the matter of the mysterious deaths of Manuel Cruz and Miguel Viana. One paper, the O Cruzeiro of September the 16th, stated to have claimed the Navy had intercepted a strange set of messages on June the 12th, the day before whatever happened on the beach. And they were picked up, this strange message was picked up by transmitting stations using identifications that didn't actually exist. No details of what the Navy heard were ever reported, just a general implication that they must be connected to the explosion that day. Now this same newspaper would add two final details to this crazy ass mystery. They claimed that the mask had been made in Miguel's workshop where remnants of the process had been found along with a book on scientific spiritualism, which mentioned the masks intense luminosity, and accompanying spirits. The newspaper also claimed that Miguel had told his sister a day or two before the June 13th explosion on the beach, quote, I will soon be carrying out an important mission, end quote, and that it was a secret she could tell no one. The police later determined that Gomez, as well as all the other people associated with Miguel and Manuel, had been in Campos at the time of their ultimate demise. So they were not directly involved in the death, and Gomez was released. So for 11 months, there were no other reports regarding anything about Manuel and Miguel's death. But, fast forward to August of 1967, and the police apparently said some very, very confusing things in the newspaper library. They state on august nineteenth in the newspaper Ultumia Ora that the police were trying to find a car they had the registration number for, and they believed that this car in question had transported the bodies of Manuel and Miguel from Compost to the actual Moro Ventium Hill. If they succeeded in finding the car, then the bodies were to be exhumed for further examination to determine if the two men died of violence, an overdose of, quote, chemicals which they were using to make extraterrestrial communications, end quote, or if they had enacted a suicide pact. Basically, the police announced that somehow they had forgotten about the case, but they were still working on it but they didn't really take in consideration or I wouldn't say in consideration. They didn't take, they didn't put any stock in all of the stuff that Gomez said that Manuel and Miguel were into. Now on August the 26th, the same paper, the Ultima aura announced that the bodies had been exhumed and the organs had been re- removed for examination. The dig out. best in the biz? Best in the biz. <laughs> damn right, brother. Damn right. <laughs> The delegate of police, Sergio Rodriguez, claimed, quote, important pieces of evidence were disregarded at the start of the inquiry, end quote, and that his team was now close to solving the case with expectations they would have the guilty party in cuffs, I guess is what you should say, in a matter of days. On September the 3rd, 1966, the newspaper Correo de Mana stated that detectives were planning to investigate spiritualist circles. It was now being asserted that Manuel and Miguel had stopped at an electronic store before they stopped to buy the mineral water and that they likely met their murderer at the electronics store before they climbed Morro de Ventium. The newspaper also stated that the men had climbed the hill on August 21st 1966, which is a snafu because we all know, if we've been paying attention to these massive dates I've been throwing at you, that they were actually found on August the 20th. Did the police really forget most of the previous investigation, including the date that the bodies were found? Or were the newspapers trying to get sales by adding new false details to a previous popular story? Or was someone trying to rewrite the previous events so that it sounded Less strange. These are the questions that keep me up at night. But whatever it is, it is clear that Delegate Rodriguez did not catch the anticipated guilty party. Now, the case would resurface in newspapers around the country of Brazil. And on June twenty eighth, 1968, according to the Rio de Janeiro newspaper O Globo, Police were now trying to find a foreign man with blonde hair seen talking to Manuel and Miguel from a Jeep on the road before the two men climbed Moro de Ventium. Additionally, hair samples of the two men were specifically tested for signs of poisoning by arsenic, mercury, barium, and thallium, but nothing was found, which basically put an end to the poisoning speculation. And then there was no more word about the case that is until February 23rd of 1969, and that's when a lot of newspapers returned to the mystery. And the papers would claim that the case had been solved due to the confession of a man named Hamilton Biznani, a, quote, underworld figure, end quote, already serving a sentence of over 50 years in a Sao Paulo prison. According to reports, a female relative of Bazzani had told police that he had admitted to involvement with the Moro Dovintium mystery. So he was questioned. He stated that he had been asked by three other well-known criminals of the area to assist in a crime. All four had gone to a spiritualist center in Niteroi run by a woman they knew. And there the four men were introduced to Manuel and Miguel it was signaled to Mr. Bazzani by the other three criminals that Manuel and Miguel were the intended targets of the crime. During a seance, the criminals determined that Manuel and Miguel were both away from home and carrying a lot of cash, mostly in a briefcase with them. So after the seance concludes, Bazzani himself drove his three criminal friends and Manuel and Miguel along with the woman from the Spiritualist Center to the foot of Moro de Ventium. There, Manuel and Miguel were forced out of the car and into the thickness of the hill by everyone except Bezani, who stayed with the car. A half hour later, all but Viana and Cruz returned. That is, Manuel, Cruz, and Miguel, Viana. And the criminals, well... They showed back up holding the old briefcase full of money. They stated they had forced the two men to take poison at gunpoint. The party planned a time for the next day to split the money, but Bizani gave it a miss on the intuition that they might tie up some loose ends and he wouldn't get his fair share.
1: Now, do you think if someone's going to, at gunpoint, force you to take poison, like, let's put yourself in that situation.
0: Just shoot me. Or are you going to take the gunshot? I'm taking the shot. I'm not sitting there yeah, suffering through the poison. Excuse me, man. Yeah. Like,
1: I'm not going to suffer through poison. Like, fuck you, man.
0: Just shoot me in the
1: head, bro. That's
0: right, man. Just get it over with. Now, we all know that this Mr. Bazzani's claims were false about the poison angle because they had already exhumed the bodies and tested the hair again, and they didn't find any poison. Yeah, they
1: can't. they can't determine how these men died. No. Like, there's nothing... They didn't they weren't poisoned they weren't strangled they weren't it,
0: it's it's insane like how did they die man I don't know dude the newspaper goes on to state that the police were looking to round up the other three criminals and the lady from the spiritualist center but the lady from the spiritualist center was already sitting in the a jail somewhere else in brazil Benzani's story was so strange that several Brazilian UFO researchers assumed it was false from the start and had been meant as a purposeful cover-up at the hands of the Brazilian government. Of course.
1: Always the Brazilian government.
0: This would have been the last time that it was seen in Brazilian newspapers. Now... This story gained some traction in 1967, 1968, and 1971 when the British magazine Flying Saucer Review reprinted it and talked about the case. And that was in 67 when they first printed it. That would have been the first time it was ever told in English. The next time the story comes to light after 1971 is 1990, and then the second body that I talked about, or the, I guess you would say he's actually the first body that I talked about, along with the Atafana beach incident, were actually separate newspaper clippings that someone sent to the Flying Saucer Review magazine. Now, the beach incident with the explosion felt miles away and witnesses on boats would have made a huge appearance in the newspapers and could either be verified or completely done away with as a false claim. And, according to what I researched, the Flying Saucer Review did do their due diligence and found that an explosion did occur and that they were subsequent UFO reports. And so they kind of threaded that together. The biggest question is, why... Did they travel to Nitori and why pick that specific hill because they could have switched buses and been at another town just as easily as this one or were they just wasting time and they were actually waiting on someone else to join them. Another party
1: of all the things in this case, you think that's the biggest question?
0: Well, no, not the biggest question. There, there's a lot of questions. One That is one of the, I guess, less, uh, I don't know how to say it. Paranormal, I guess, is a good way to say it. That would be yeah. the less paranormal angle. That's something that you could really dive into and probably find the answer to, I guess. And they said that they interviewed their families and that, they all said the same thing. Basically, they, they were going to this town because this town had an electronic shop that sold whatever they needed. So, I don't know. I will say this. If two men that are not from the town hop off a bus and have a shit ton of cash on them, they're going to draw some attention to themselves.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: What I don't understand is, mate... It doesn't say, did it say how old the boy was in anything that you read? Was he like 11? No, I mean, he was young, though. I mean, he was flying a kite. He was like probably 10. Okay, so let's just say 10. My question is, why did he not go home and go, hey, Pops, there's two guys like dressed in suits and ties with these strange things on their face when I was flying my kite today. And then he comes back, hey, you know those two men that were dressed in suits had the strange things on their face? They're lying down now. That's my question. Like, did the boy? That's a good question. Did the boy just? Honestly, that's a great question. Did the boy just think? But from the pictures that you see of where the bodies are found, you're, it does not appear that this is a picnic spot. (laughs) People are not just climbing out the, off the side of the road and going up here and having a wonderful brunch or lunch, and looking at the majestic views. Hell, there's, as we call in the South, briars and bullshit as tall as the officers. But I, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the questions I had. I don't know. There's a lot of, sh- There's a lot of questions in this one.
1: Are you saying it's a mystery?
0: That might be why we're covering it. <laughs> okay, so now Jacques Vallée, who is a very well-known author and spokesperson on UFOs, he released his eighth book entitled Confrontations, A Scientist's Search for Alien Contact. In it, he started with this story explaining how he investigated it personally in April of 1980. Him and his wife actually flew to Brazil and visited the actual hill along with his wife, Jacques, climbed the hill with a local French teacher who volunteered to translate, a journalist, a photographer, and a detective who handled unsolved cases. Valet was also accompanied by, quote, the first adult who had seen the bodies that August day in 1966 when a group of boys came running to the house. He had accompanied them to the police station at the foot of the hill where they described their grizzly find to the officer in charge, end quote. Which would be a very important new witness to interview except for one small problem. Valet never divulges who this new witness is. Hmm. Huh. He goes on and states that he would write, this unnamed tour guide that would show him around the town as well as take him to the hill itself. But when they got to the hill, the ground was almost bare, even though it was surrounded by basically jungle. Valet mentions the spot was bare of vegetation two separate times, implying this was a very significant find. Now, as he's telling the story, the bodies had first been found by an 18-year-old boy who was searching for his kite with his friends. They alerted the unnamed man who was talking to Valet because he lived nearby. The unnamed man stated the bodies did not stink when they found and that predators and vultures had not touched them. Now, valet then reported that the skin of the two bodies, when found, were pink and showed signs of possible burns. But then he asserted that the decomposition, quote, had progressed to the point where such a finding was not significant, end quote, which doesn't seem to make sense. Either that's a big deal that their skin was pink or they decomposed so bad that it wasn't a big deal. You can't have it both ways. So there was either clear evidence of burns or... It was just decomposition changing the color of the skin. Valet also states that the lead mask and notes were found lying by the bodies along with some items that were never mentioned before. Quote, a crushed piece of aluminized blue and white paper, some cellophane soaked in a chemical substance, and a handkerchief, which we stated. He also does not mention any of the those new items ever again when he retells the story now his description of the events of the death are just as strange as what we've already covered he describes in his telling that both Manuel and Miguel were electronics technicians and that's what most articles that you when you type in the old google machine that says they were electronic technicians and They just kind of gloss over all the other shit that led up to them being on the hill at 5 p.m. I just, I don't know. I don't know.
1: I don't know either, man. This this freaking weird is what it is. What is going on? And why?
0: Now, Valet does go on and talk about the incident at the beach. And he says that not only was Gomez there, but there was also another guy there named... Valdir and the explosion in Manuel's garden and at the beach were attributed to homemade bombs. Quote, they were basically pipe bombs. Valet states that the families of the dead men testified to such at the inquest of the police. Now, no one ever seems to ask the question to Valet at any time. What the hell were these two making pipe bombs for? (laughs) Or was it just for shits and giggles and they made them a little too strong and they made a real strong one and took it to the beach to see how big of a crater it would lead? I don't know. Now, this next thing is odd. And this is the only thing that I could find about it, so I don't know how true it is. I have not read any of his books. But Valet asserts that a cousin of, is it Manuel? I think it's Manuel. No, of Miguel there was a cousin of Manuel that tried to stop both men from taking their trip and was separately told by each one that they were not actually going on the trip to buy anything. This was in fact, just an excuse as their real purpose for the trip had to do with testing their beliefs in spiritualism. Belay then ends his story of the whole thing by adding the previously unreported UFO sighting, taking place in March 16th of 1966 in which four people watched a luminous elliptical object flying about a hundred feet above a different hill in town. So it's kind of like a game of telephone. No one knows except from the original newspaper articles. And they wasn't saying a whole lot of facts back then what the actual hell happened.
1: I mean, how can you report on what actually happened? I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense.
0: No, I don't, I have no idea.
1: I mean, just gonna, well, it, you're gonna you're gonna print a story where you just have the shrugging emoji, and
0: like I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Found these two old boys with suit and ties on; they got some lead mice around their face. <laughs> now, I mean, essentially, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, like, you're right. who, who the fucking knows? This story first hit the intranet webbers around the year 1999, as Y2K was about to happen to us all, and we were all going to die. But
1: dude, I remember Y2K, like we all kind of held our breath.
0: Oh yeah, at midnight I was like, two, one, eh? and then we were all like, "Ah." (laughs) yeah, we get another year. (laughs) (laughs) So on January fifth, nineteen ninety nine, a Portuguese language website called Portal Vigilililila featuring UFO and related articles written by Radical Vigilililila posted a version of the lead mask mystery. In his accounts, the event was clearly based on Jacques Vallée's book, which had been translated into several different languages by that time, but included some new additions. So for the first time in the telling of this story, the boy who found the bodies is given a name, Jorge da Costa all of this. He is described as an 18 year old boy who was on the hill either to fly a kite or find his lost kite when he smelled the bodies. And he says there was a packet found next to the bodies containing two small towels. Um, This website goes on to state that the police identified the bodies, noted the odd notes, and then reconstructed the movements of the men throughout getting off the bus and what we've talked about, what they bought, and all that other shit. And it kind of stays on track with everything that we've covered. Now, the website does, again, kind of echo what Valet said about the pink skin detail, but it doesn't go into any other thing about it. The website also mentions the sighting by the De Souzas and the basically people coming out to say, yeah, she saw what she saw because we saw it too. Then it mentions the the whole pipe bomb thing on the beach. It kind of, you don't know if it is just regurgitating Jacques' book or if it's kind of giving credence to what he found. But anyway, there's, like I said, this is a huge game of telephone by the time it hits the internet. And you don't really know what has been added to this case. And then, of course, you've got the Wikipedia page on it, which is basically a mixture of Jacques Vallée's telling and the translated websites version into modern English. So yada, yada, yada. But there's usually two sides to this story when you find it referenced on the interwebs. It's either tied to the UFO sightings or it's just one of those odd-ass stories where it's just a mystery. These two guys leave their hometown, get on a bus, and they're found three days later by a kid flying a kite. And we don't know the details, and good luck. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is about all the information I could find on the Aled Mass case.
1: It just I don't know, man. It just doesn't make any sense to me. What were these guys going through?
0: I don't know i saw one theory out there that said that uh they were back in that time they were international spies who had tripped on acid and passed away and i'm like really i mean i like the angle of them actually trying to receive instructions from aliens and they were protecting their eyes from some kind of radiation that a ufo would have rather than some hippie tripped out on acid but anyway I don't know, man. I think, to be honest with you, I think if you got down to the nuts and bolts of it, they were some kind of spiritualist thing, or part of a spiritualist kind of, I don't I want to say cult, but I guess you can. And they had, like, jumped way down the rabbit hole and thought that by doing what they did with the mineral water and writing the strange stuff and researching what they did, that they could actually get a UFO to appear, Whether they did or not, and lost their lives, we'll never know. I like to. I would like to think they did. They ultimately found the trip on the tail of the comet, and they're soaring somewhere in a UFO, just laughing their asses off in Portuguese.
1: What was the name? What was the name of that cult? Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. Yeah, yeah. So they went the Heaven's. You think they went the Heaven's Gate route? Yeah,
0: I think they were the first. They they got on that one. No, I don't think they got on that one, but I think... They got on the ground floor of it. Yeah, that was it. (laughs) They were like, come on, boys. We're going to use y'all wherever we're taking you. (laughs) So, I don't know, man. I can
1: honestly say it just doesn't make any sense. None of of it.
0: Yeah, it's just random shit that they're found with. And then that note. Why would it be jumbled letters, hieroglyphics, and then have that one saying that was translated, you know, that it just doesn't... I don't know, man. It's crazy. That's for sure. That's for sure. That's why it's famous, man. Yes. Be at the place arranged at 4 30. Take capsules at 6 30 after feeling the effects. Protect half the face with the lead mask and await the agreed signal. That's all that it was translated to. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. All right. So I was supposed to remind you. Well, actually, what is your do you have a theory or are you just like, I don't know.
1: No, I'm, I'm definitely at the, I don't fucking know, man. I don't know anything.
0: I don't know shit about fuck. Uh, I don't know
1: shit about fuck, my man.
0: So I was supposed to remind you of your recommendation from last week when you were like, I don't know. I ain't got no recommendation. Man,
1: I know. Like, what the <laughs> hell was wrong with I
0: don't even know. Like I, like, I don't even have a recommendation.
1: The fuck I didn't? I had a great recommendation. Everyone, if there's a theater near you showing Cocaine Bear, go fucking watch Cocaine Bear it is set very close to my co- the college i went to and graduated from north georgia Dahlonega, baby what's up <laughs> it's set between <laughs> it's set on blood mountain uh which is between which is if it's the mountain between Dahlonega and blairsville but if my friend that i met in college is to believe to be believed i actually know the man
0: the cocaine was meant for get out of town señor i know there is no way you know the man. You do not know the man. You only think you know the man. You'll have to tell me off air because now I'm interested. <laughs> but anyway. I
1: mean, I don't. I, it was, he only, like, I, I worked. My first job in college where I happened to meet my, well, now ex-wife, where I met her, was a yoga resort. I was a dishwasher. I didn't teach yoga. But there was a convenience store right in front of it that we'd go to almost every day. And apparently he was the owner of that convenience store. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but I do know him.
0: Damn, that's crazy, man! If you want to jump down the old cult rabbit hole, which we will probably never cover on here, so you can have at it. Netflix has a documentary on Warren Jeffs, the polygamist out in that moved from Utah to Texas and had the sister wives and all that shit. What? What's that called? Uh, it's. I wish you hadn't asked, asshole.
1: Well, it's your recommendation.
0: You should fucking know what it's called. Well, I know I should, but it like totally... I had it <laughs> in my mind, and now my mind is blank. Keep sweet, pray, and obey. Oh, yeah, I've seen
1: that. Keep sweet, pray, and obey.
0: Dude, Um, it's disturbing. If But if you're into cults, it's just another one out there that, that just boggles your mind how people can get tied into that sort of thing. But... Oh, anyway. bro!
1: That uh, that Malaysian Airlines documentary on pissed Netflix pissed me is, off.
0: Pissed me off. It? Yes, it pissed me off because they didn't it answer was so a damn good. thing. It was very good. Yeah, well, there's no answers
1: though. It's a mystery. We don't answer <laughs> shit on our podcast. You can get mad. Yeah, I get that, uh, mad at myself
0: every week. I'm like, damn it, we you didn't get answer. Get mad
1: that they didn't solve anything?
0: No, I I guess what I was they are the same
1: motherfucker that watches unsolved mysteries and is blown away. <laughs> by the updates
0: no I guess what made me upset the most was they didn't stick with one theory or give you three specific ones at the end they just had a this hodgepodge of shit and then there's that one aviation author on that documentary and I'm like dude just pick a lane that was my only thing so well coach you got anything else Oh, you fucking know I don't, brother. Uh, deuces.